Hi, I'm Leah Dehan. And I'm Yusuf Hassan, and you're listening to Africa Over, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa program. Welcome back to Africa Over. It's great to have you listening. And welcome to the first episode of our special Accept series. On this episode, we'll be discussing our Accept project, which we first spoke about on episode 12, Relations Between Ethiopia and Sudan. And for this episode, I'm very lucky to be joined by my colleague and Accept project manager, Leah Dahan. Welcome to the pod. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. To remind our listeners about Accept, simple question, what does Accept stand for? So Accept stands for Cross-Border Conflict, Evidence, Policy and Trends. And it is a big research program funded by UK aid from the UK government. So there's lots of different organisations involved looking at conflict all across the globe. And Chatham House specifically is one of the research leads. And what we're looking at is the way that transnational supply chains intersect with conflict across borders. Thank you so much for that explanation. What are we planning to explore in this episode? So for Except Chatham House looks at three different case studies. The case study we're looking at today is called Sudan's Borderlands. So we're joined by two of our brilliant colleagues, Abel and Ahmed, today, who we're going to ask about the research approaches they're using, the way that they are incorporating local experiences of conflict, but also how they're looking at the big regional dynamics that are affecting this particular conflict. Thank you so much for that overview, Leah. And thank you for joining me as co-host on this episode. Brilliant. Let's talk to Abel and Ahmed. Ahmed Suleiman is a senior research fellow at the Africa Programme at Chatham House. His research focuses on the politics of Somalia, the Sudans, Ethiopia and Eritrea, producing policy-driven research that influences thinking on the Horn of Africa. Abel Abati Dimisi is an associate fellow of the Africa Programme and a researcher focusing on Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa region. He worked formally as an advisor to the British Embassy in Addis Ababa and Programme Head at the government-run think tank, the Ethiopian Foreign Relations and Strategic Studies Institute between 2012 and 2015. Ahmed, Abel, welcome back to Africa. Thank you, Yusuf. It's great to be back on the pod. To begin, of course, Leah has outlined what Accept is about and the work that you're doing. But just to clarify a couple of things, Ahmed, can you provide our listeners with an overview of the research process behind your case studies? The mapping of routes and, you know, the local actors framework as well? Thank you, Yusuf. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So as part of the EXEC program, we're examining how policymakers can better identify, anticipate and mitigate conflict across borders in parts of Africa and the Middle East. In doing so, we're trying to address three interlinked questions, how policymakers should understand conflict, violence and different types of harms, how these forms of conflict traverse borders and how policy interventions can and should mitigate against such forms of conflict. In answering these questions, we're we're focusing on the analysis of transnational conflict supply chains, which reveal the ways in which markets and societies connect to and, and often fuel conflict. We've developed the definition of a transnational conflict supply chain as being harm inflicted as the result of direct and structural violence caused by the transnational production movement and distribution of goods, services, and people. And this is really framing all of the research we're doing across the case studies. This approach really tries to balance policy-orientated and academic research, examining forms of direct and structural violence, the connections between them, some of which you know otherwise would be 
very invisible to, to policymakers, but that can help to make sense of protracted conflicts. So assessing the, this transnational conflict supply chain, we hope will, will offer policymakers a lens to understand the cross-border impacts of conflict along the supply chain and the ripple effects and enable them, therefore, to develop a more proactive policy agenda and interventions that have an appreciation of connectivity of conflict across borders and, and actors and, their, and how they're affected across these geographies. When thinking about my own case study, which is focused on different areas of Sudan and, and its borderlands, I'm looking at conflict supply chains related to critical commodities, one of these explores the contestation over land, the control of land and, and related agricultural resources on the Sudan-Ethiopia border between those two countries, not only focusing on the border, but across looking at the local, the regional and national level impacts of this conflict supply chain. And when kind of carrying out the research, we're trying to see how conflict dynamics economic factors are shaping the supply chain over a long period of time. So for us, we're looking at a 10-year period from 2012 to 2022, looking at how these supply chains are impacted by different actors, how they shape resilience and coping economies and affect livelihoods, how the supply chains intersect with other economic activities as well, be they licit or illicit. So in that, we're, we're trying to answer several questions. And that really forms the basis of our, our, our research at this moment in time. Within what we're doing, we've been, we've been doing conflict issue mapping. So we're trying to understand the sets of conflict that are prevalent in different localities across the supply chain, trying to understand the actors and their engagement. And we're also trying to develop an understanding of how the conflict system is fed by the supply chains weaving both the illicit and the illicit together. And in order to do this, we've got some really excited and innovative research methods, mixed research methods, including pretty rigorous data collection, incorporating qualitative methods, semi-structured key informant interviews, focus groups, open source data collection as well. But, you know, where we're adding to these kind of traditional qualitative methods is that we're also incorporating quantitative data, including, you know, satellite imagery, analyzing checkpoints and, and trying to map different trading and smuggling routes over time. So this is really fascinating research, groundbreaking research that we're engaged in for the Accept program. Building on this, my question was why the contestation of land on the border of Sudan and Ethiopia is particularly relevant to the conflict dynamics you're studying? I think, as some of our listeners would definitely understand, border and boundary issues are the most sensitive topics in Ethiopia. And internally, most of the regional states in Ethiopia have boundary issues with the neighboring regions. And we have observed these disputes often degenerating into violent conflict in the past years. I think one uh, definitely understands that there is a notable boundary dispute between Tigray and Amhara region. And, uh, when the start of uh, during the start of the Tigray conflict, the Amhara region moved to annex vast areas uh, in the western and southern part of Tigray, which it claims was historically belonged to the region and was annexed by Tigray some 30 years ago. In addition to internal boundary disputes, uh, Ethiopia also has uh, few international disputes with the neighboring countries along the borderlines. 
and particularly the border contestation between Ethiopia and Eritrea, as many of our listeners would uh, definitely recall, has resulted the days of hundreds of thousands and its implication continues to linger to the state. With Sudan as well, uh, there were always been some tensions, particularly in the western part of the country. And particularly after the Tigray war, uh, we've seen a considerable increase on the tension. Sudanese forces captured vast areas uh, in the contested Al-Fashagat territory following the Tigray war, which Ethiopia claims Sudan was exploiting its internal vulnerability and has been instrumentalized by actors like Egypt to inflame the situation even more. The Sudanese authorities claim it has, they have restored uh, more than 95% of the land that belongs to them, but all the reports indicate that low-level skirmishes continued uh, despite recent increased engagement between the two countries. The Fashaga and the Western Tigray or Welkaid area, depending on who you ask, is particularly important because it is the area that has uh, significant tension, claims and counterclaims within Ethiopia. In addition to that, with the aim of resolving the, the boundary disputes, uh, Prime Minister Abi has been envisaging a number of instruments, one of which is the Boundary and Identity Commission, which was established in 2019, with the aim of resolving boundary and border-related issues, but uh, it has been disbanded without any tangible results, I think, 2021. Under Abi leadership, the identity and boundary issues became, in fact, one of the most complicated and violent means of, means of contestations. Unless it resolved soon, uh, many pundits uh, very well suggested that uh, it could threaten the very existence of the country. In general, in discussing the boundary or land contestations in relation to the political economy, I think there are two important elements that we need to duly note. The first one is the ethnicization of boundaries, where Ethiopia is markedly one of the countries in Africa that follows the federalism system. And this federalism system is mainly along identity or ethnicity lines. And importantly, most of the regions in Ethiopia are named after the dominant ethnic group within the boundary. This means conflicts which were localized by their nature, which were also mostly over resources, including grazing lands and water, is now being degenerating into an all-out regional wars. And this has been the major security concern for the country, particularly in the past 10 years. I can give you a few examples for this. Regional states have deployed heavily armed uh, special forces in the recent conflict along boundary lines, like between Oromia and Somali regions, Somali and Afar regions, Afar and Tigray, Tigray and Amhara, Oromia and Amhara, and you can name many more. And the second point that I think is extremely important uh, along this issue is the issue of economy, unemployment, and use bad. And as you might know, Ethiopia, is, Ethiopia has 80 to 85% of the population engaged in agriculture, mainly in subsistence and red bed farming and livestock production. The main crops that have been grown in Ethiopia includes coffee, pulses, oil seeds, potatoes, sugarcane, and few vegetables. And oil seeds is particularly important because this has been a point of contestation over agricultural land between Ethiopia and Sudan on the one hand, and also between Amhara region and Tigray on the other. 
Ethiopia is also one of the fastest countries when it comes to population growth, as I said earlier on. Out of the 110 million population, 41% of them are below the age of 15, and more than a quarter of the population are between the ages of 15 and 20. Hence, this has considerably increased the issue of unemployment. These dynamics fed into resource conflicts, particularly in the areas that are deemed fertile agricultural lands, and this is particularly true in the areas that I mentioned earlier on, uh, in the Western Tigray, the Welkite area, and also uh, the areas that, that are around the, bo- the borders between Ethiopia and Sudan. Thank you so much for that overview, Abel. The next point I was hoping we could touch on are some of the hypotheses you have come to in relation to the contestation over land, with a focus on the agricultural sector and in particular its political economy of transnational conflict. As I mentioned at the outset, one of the theories that we're exploring is is how the supply chain of of agricultural commodities, goods, especially important cash crops like sesame, is impacted by but also contributes to conflict. And Abba has touched upon how it's you know, engaged in, in, in conflict in some ways as well through Western Tigray and, and Wokite, uh, which is located in and in between the Amhara and Tigray regional states. And, and as he said, was the epicenter really the, the real core of Ethiopia's oilseed production before the war in northern Ethiopia began and, and, and actually at this time also. Just to give you, you know, some some background to this, Ethiopia's exports of spice, oil seeds, pulses is an industry worth about half a billion dollars. This represents roughly a quarter of the country's total export revenues. This industry itself was has has been second only to coffee in the last few years in terms of the amount it has generated for the Ethiopian economy. And so, you know, any changes in that are are really significant for Ethiopia's economy. When we're looking at a product like sesame, this trade makes up a large percentage of of this market. And the sector really has been decimated by conflict in the country's north. And this territory in particular, I think, counts for between 70 to 90% of the total sesame production in the whole of the country. We've seen a decline in, in revenues from sesame exports in, uh, in Ethiopia, which has dropped to around $335 million around there in 2021 from being close to $450, $500 million a few years before. Interestingly enough, and, and building on what what Abel said about you know the ethnicization of conflict, this sector was was dominated by Tigrayan business people and investors before the war. The leading party in the region, the TPLF, its business conglomerate, used to own vast tracts of agricultural land. But of course, since the war began in 2020, the area of Western Tigray, Walkite, has been taken over by Amhara forces. And this has also subsequently seen the control over the the agricultural sector be replaced by other elites, those from the Amhara community and from the Amhara region. So we see a continued and shift in the ethnicization and commercialization of the conflict, which is really an important factor in terms of the control over agricultural land and the trade of these critical commodities. But it's also being used to legitimize and make de facto Amhara control over this disputed territory, as as Abel outlined, historically moving forward. 
at the local level, there's been a direct impact in terms of participation in the labor market, hundreds of thousands displaced due to the war. The consequence has been, as I mentioned, an impact on on productivity. And really, you know, we've seen around 500,000 hectares of sesame fields, you know, taken out of cultivation during the cropping season. That has a huge impact in terms of not only agricultural productivity, but, but, but livelihoods for people. And in this challenging context and environment, we're also seeing informality thriving. And some of the early evidence from our research suggests that the export of these cash crops, including sesame, is linked directly to illicit trade and other cross-border activities between Ethiopia and Sudan, with the money earned from the export market then reinvested in other illicit products uh, which generate higher returns, including arms, including drugs, pharmaceutical and others, and including other commodity products. We're also seeing, which connects to another one of the case studies uh, in Except, looking at human smuggling and trafficking, is that this sector and, and the infrastructure on, on agricultural lands, including stores, for example, not only serve to, to house agricultural products, but also contraband goods, as well as being shelters for migrants who are illegally seeking to transit through to Sudan. And because of the securitization of borders, you know, they're doing so in order to either participate in the labor market in Sudan and al-Fashagar, or for onward migration, you know, or for, for both, you know, it, it can be a st staged process. They're either doing so independently or they're being trafficked. So those are very interesting dynamics and, and feed into the comparison between the case studies in this project. Just briefly, going back to the national and, and regional dynamics, you know, these factors are having implications for the sustainability of the peace agreement signed between the federal government and the Tigrayan uh, leadership. Given the contestation ongoing between Tigray and the Amhara region over the administration of this region, it's going to be a core issue of contestation and future negotiation and, and will obviously have impacts on localized communities as well. As Abel mentioned also, this conflict in, in northern Ethiopia has been used and was uh, used opportunistically by the Sudanese armed forces and, the, and those in charge of the Sudanese government at present to take control over these disputed areas of fertile land in Al-Fashagar on the kind of in-between border between the two countries at the end of 2020. And this has heightened the long-standing border dispute between the two countries. These developments have had an influence on the production flow and direction of agricultural and other goods and, and impacts on civilians. After the eviction of Ethiopian farmers who had been controlling territory on the eastern side of the Atbara River following Sudan's takeover, what we're seeing is, you know, the incorporation land now being given back to Sudanese investors, but not necessarily those investors who claimed ownership or held ownership of that land previously, some of whom may have had relationships with Ethiopian farmers living and working on that land and, and even have leased the land to them. What we're seeing is that, you know, military controlled companies are seeking to benefit from the lucrative sesame uh, sector and trade, rerouting the markets through internally through Sudan rather than through Ethiopia. And often this is 
at the direct expense of the Sudanese farmer and their interests and their profits. So directly impacting their livelihoods and their security. And we're, we're seeing this connected also in other ways to, 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 to various illicit and direct violence. The control of, by the Sudanese military of most of this disputed area now has undoubtedly caused a large loss to Ethiopian farmers, both in land in terms of crop products, which were stored in the Al Fashaga area. But kind of counterintuitively, some of our early research findings are suggesting that this control really is still to be fully established and that there are pre-existing trade routes, uh, some of which are illicit and relationships between Sudanese and Ethiopian farmers across the border, which continue to be a significant factor in facilitating the smuggling and transfer of cash groups from the Al Fashka region, as controlled by Sudan, through to Ethiopia, as well as the movement of other goods and people into Sudan. And this is despite the increased securitization on the borders between the two countries. It's having a cost implication as well, and and that's impacting particularly the sesame trade, which we're seeing quintiles of, of sesame being traded at five to six times less the price than they were before the war, and interestingly opening up some new markets as well. So this contestation over land on both sides of the border has, has also directly led to the opening of, of trade routes across the Ethiopian-Eritrean border, something which hasn't existed for, for over 30 years and, and until the rapprochement started between the two countries, uh, but which also potentially creates a new route of illicit trade and smuggling. So this is something that, that we're really only beginning to understand and, and, and kind of see data coming in on. But what the impact of this might be is also reinforcing Eritrean access to this region, you know, to, to this contested region, providing them with the ability to influence the delicate political relations at the sub-national level in Ethiopia, but also at the national and, I would argue, the regional level between Sudan and, and Ethiopia. So quite a lot of direct implications for conflict and violence potentially stemming just from the trade of sesame and related cash crops. Thank you so much for that, Ahmed. It was a fascinating and actually very useful review because now I can segue, hopefully quite smoothly, to the question that I have for Abel as we come towards an end. And that is, Abel, how do you see the local dimensions of the Sudanese-Ethiopian border relating to the regional dynamics of both countries? You know, of course, both in the midst of conflict and on a national and localised level. How does that work? Ahmed has extensively discussed both the local and the regional aspects, but to, I think there are certain things uh, that need to be emphasized. And the first one is the conflict between the two countries has both local and regional dimensions. At local level, you have a number of actors that includes businessmen, local authorities, and also including those engaged in illicit trade who have basically align themselves with different tiers of the security forces of the respective countries. And for these actors, the issue of the border issue between the two countries, need, they needed to be resolved in a way that will be beneficial to them. So they put enormous pressure on both countries uh, to use force over the contested areas, making, it, making the situation even more complicated. On the other hand, you also have regional and international actors who have vested interest on the area. 
And as you know, Ethiopia-Civil War has developed uh, into a regional conflict, which with a number of countries and non-state actors being part of uh, this ecosystem, and particularly Eritrea deeply implicated, and uh, this involvement, by, and there is also the involvement by the Sudanese government, and also Egypt by extension, and there's also a growing concern in Djibouti, as well as significant interests by other regional uh, international actors uh, that includes Turkey, the UAE, and to some extent also Russia and China. So you have a big ecosystem, particularly along this issue. And I think notably, Eritrea has the motive and the means to maintain the conflict and also to continue pursuing what it has been employing in the past two years with the aim of destroying the TPLA, consolidating its territorial gains and claims, and perhaps also to ensure that there is no threat that is coming from its southern border. Sudan is also at the same time concerned about the Asmara and ties, and particularly since the Tigray conflict, and despite a recent detent uh, in relations with Addis, uh, it may continue to support Tigrans and Benishangul uh, uh, rebels uh, in part to ensure its acquiescence uh, in relations to Kashagan and the Garden negotiations. And also, a sustained resolution to Sudan and Ethiopia relationship is basically lying in resolving their disputes over uh, Al-Fashaga border territory, as it has been said by Ahmed repeatedly. Egypt is now a close ally to Sudan, uh, particularly since the, uh, the Oster of uh, Prime Minister Abdullah Hamburg wants to see a resolution of the Great Ecuadorian-Sans Dam issue uh, that is favorable to its interests and what it calls historical rights, as opposed to a towering of relationship between Khartoum and Addis to for a fear of uh, basically a unified negotiating bloc emerging against it. And also, it is important to note that uh, internal dynamics uh, in both countries has uh, direct effects on the bilateral relation in general, and also the issue of border in particular. Now, what I'm trying to mean by this is the relative internal stability. Often, when active peace within the two countries, we used to also observe some sort of tranquility along the border lines. For example, the two countries had no significant tension on the border lines following the transitions between the two countries a few years ago. And in fact, uh, Prime Minister Abiy played a key role in brokering a peace deal between the military and the position following the ouster of Hassan al-Bashir. Hence, I have a firm belief the most sustainable solution for the two countries is to be at peace with themselves, and this could be translated movement of democracy, human rights, economic growth, and I think it will also have a rippling effect for the issue along the border lines. Finally, ensuring that uh, these tangled regional interests are aligned with a sustainable peace integrate will definitely demand uh, coordination, harmonization of parallel mediation tracks and careful sequencing. And uh, this includes uh, the regional and continental mechanisms needs to revamp their efforts uh, with the aim of resolving the border issues between Ethiopia and Sudan. 
And for this, the Africa Union and uh, the regional bloc, IGAD, as a continental and regional bodies tasked with peace and security issues in the region have, I believe, the responsibility to engage and help to resolve the issue once and for all. So both institutions need to really play a key role towards this end. And as some of our listeners uh, might uh, really know, both institutions have not strong credentials when it comes to upholding their responsibilities in the past. And uh, I think the region expects them to do things right this time around. For this to happen, the international community also has its own role to play. And uh, it needs to throw its weight behind the efforts of these two blocks. And uh, this can be done, I believe, by formally expanding the mandate of uh, President Obasanjo's office uh, to cover as well the issue of uh, the Ethiopia-Sudan border. And also, at the same time, by creating a connection with that effort uh, that is being steered by Ethiopia's former foreign minister, Warkene Gebeyo. And it also needs to be noted that Sudan, as a current chair of IGAD, I believe this platform should be used to build trust between the two countries. And I believe there is also uh, good enough goodwill by both parties and the two leaders uh, have been meeting, recently discussing uh, major issues, including the issue of the Great Renaissance Dam and the border issues. And that has been followed also by yet a few meetings uh, between the security and military officials. I think this type of open communications needs to be consolidated and utilized in a way this issue will be resolved once and for all and the region will be uh, having peace and also regional integration uh, so that actually millions of people, not only between the two countries, also uh, across the region, will be benefiting from this. Thank you so much for that succinct response there, Abel. Going into the last part of the interview, which is where we want to really provide our listeners with the opportunity to look out for some resources that are upcoming. Ahmed, are you able to provide them with things to look out for? Yeah, we've got two papers coming out, actually. One of which is based on what Abel was was talking around, which focused on the regional impacts of the Ethiopia's Tigray conflict. The second paper is focused on relations between Ethiopia and Sudan more broadly and examines cross-border tensions and intellect crises in both countries, how they're jeopardizing and impacting regional security and development, and the international responses that are required. So those are kind of foundational papers for our EXCEPT work. I'm an author, along with Jonas Horner, on the, on the latter. As I said, Abel is authoring the first. So please do look out for those in, in the coming couple of months. Great. Thank you so much, Abel and Ahmed, for joining us on the podcast today, for uh, discussing this fascinating Accept research. And thank you so much, Yusuf, for having me today as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, guys. Thank you so much. And that brings us to an end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform you're listening to us on and do leave a review as that will allow others to find this podcast easier. I've been your host Yusuf Hassan joined by my colleague Leah Dehan. Goodbye. <laughs>